Thanks, beloved. You know, I was sitting down there, beloved ones, thinking that if the rapture were to take place tonight, I'm positive that I would go before everyone else here in the congregation because I know exactly what would happen. Michael the archangel would sound that trumpet right behind me and I'd drop dead of a heart attack and as it says in the scriptures, the dead in Christ shall rise first and then all of you who are yet remaining will be caught up together. So I'll be waiting up there in glory for you at the threshold of heaven to welcome you. What a blessed hope that we have. I remember one time at the Falls Bible Church, I was trying to get some of the young people involved in the ministry, and we were having some special meetings, and I had selected the subject of the rapture. And so I had gotten one of our young people aside a couple days before, and I knew he was working on the, the trumpet on one of the horns, and asked him if he would bring it to the Sunday service, but don't let anyone see it. And we had it all arranged that he was going to step up in the back of the auditorium. No one would see him. And about two-thirds of the way through the message, I was going to say, and the trumpet shall sound. And he was the blast that horn. And he blasted it, but the only problem was he hit a sire note, and it went flat. <laughs> And it just echoed through the whole auditorium and everyone just howled. And I said, well, I don't think it's going to be quite like that. But, <laughs> but we surely do have a great hope, don't we? Let's take our Bibles at this time and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians and the fifth chapter. As we move on in our series entitled The Future of the Body of Christ, for our message this evening, we want to consider the relationship between the kingdom and the body. When we rightly divide the word of truth, it is very obvious that there are numerous distinctions that we must make we must distinguish between God's prophetic program and his mystery program, between the kingdom gospel and the gospel of the grace of God, between Peter and Paul. And so there are many distinctions that must be made. But we must also realize that there are some connections that we must make as well. And so as we come to our message tonight, we want to begin by going to the Word of God and considering one of the areas where the kingdom and the body are not related. And then we shall look at the other side of the coin where there is a connection between the kingdom and the body. Now, as we come to our first point, to accomplish where there is not a relationship, we are simply going to answer a question. Is the church the body of Christ, the bride of Christ? Personally, I do not believe that it is. 
Although I want you to know that there are many in the grace movement who believe that indeed the body is the bride. And so once again, you must be a Berean and study to see if these things be so. And we're going to be taking you to the scriptures and sharing a number of passages with you. And we trust that you'll be patient and turn along with us. I could stand up here tonight and just speak, but I'd really prefer for you to turn along and consider the passages along with me. Here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, we read these words that Paul writes to the saints at Ephesus. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There are some who believe that this portion that we have just read to you refers to the body of Christ being the bride of Christ. And they seek to make a relationship here between us as body members and our Lord Jesus Christ. However, when I study the Pauline epistles and the new creation, I find that the Apostle Paul refers to us always in the masculine gender. You'll recall when he wrote to the saints at Thessalonica, that he who letteth will let until he is taken out of the way. And that's a reference to the church. We are the restrainer. But there the apostle uses the masculine pronoun when referring to us. You see, we must realize that we are literally a part of the body of Christ. We are members one of another, and Christ is our living head. And so we must keep that in mind as we consider this subject. Also, as we read the portion this evening, this is normally where the brethren will come to prove that we are the bride of Christ. And they say, after all, does not this section refer to the marriage relationship of the man and the woman. Therefore, they conclude that whenever we are raptured home to glory, that we are going to be united to Christ in the holy bonds of matrimony. However, as I read these passages, we have to distinguish between a metaphor and a simile. Now, let's just have a little grammar lesson for a moment because it will be very helpful to us. A metaphor speaks about representation. And if this were referring to the bride of Christ, it would have to be a metaphor. But it is not. For example, we are called in the Pauline epistles soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a metaphor that is used of us. And it's a good one because are not we 
marching under the banner of the cross and we are to fight the good fight of the faith. But when we come to these passages, we see that Paul uses a simile, and that's a resemblance, and normally it's introduced with words like as and like. And while we see some similarities here, we must leave it at that. It is true that the man is the head of the woman, and that the woman is to respect her husband and submit herself unto the authority of her husband. And so it is when we look at the church, the body of Christ. Christ is our head, and we as church members or members of his body are to willingly, voluntarily submit ourselves unto him. And so you can see that there's a resemblance there. But that's where it stops, and we must not take it any further than that. For even as it says in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, now notice, even as Christ is the head of the church. Then in verse 24, therefore as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. So once again, we see a resemblance here. But bear in mind, as we consider these verses, that as Paul deals with the marriage relationship, that the man and the woman are two different people, two different persons. But whenever we consider the subject of the body of Christ, are not we one? with Christ. We are actually a part of his body. There is a very vital union there. We are joined to him by faith. We're identified also with his death, burial, and resurrection. So I submit to you this evening that we are not the bride of Christ. Well, if that is the case, then who is the bride? Well, let's turn to two portions. First of all, let's turn to John chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 19. In John chapter 3 and verse 29, we are introduced to the bride and the bridegroom. And here the Apostle John writes these words. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore it is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. At this point, we want to have a little audience participation. And let's look at verse 29 a little more carefully. When we come to the four Gospels, we are going back to the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that John the Baptist was one of the first ones to come on the scene. But to whom was he ministering? Who can tell me? Israel. Let's hear it a little louder. Who was he ministering to? Israel. 
the nation of Israel. He was calling God's chosen people to repentance. And so we can see that Israel was still the apple of God's eye. And then after John was beheaded, we see that the Lord continues preaching the gospel of the grace of God. And you'll recall that he said that he was not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So here we can see that the theme of prophecy then is the nation of Israel and the proclamation of her kingdom. So with that context around these passages, we note then in verse 29, he that hath the bride, and I personally believe we are to conclude there that the bride is Israel, is the bridegroom who would be none other than Christ himself. And the friend of the bridegroom standeth and he rejoiceth when he hears his voice. That would be a reference to John the Baptist himself. But after these words were spoken, we suddenly lose sight of the bride and Israel and the bridegroom because we know that because of Israel's hardness of her heart that God set her aside in unbelief and her program is temporarily suspended. And it is not brought up again until we come back here to Revelation chapter 19 and verses 7 and 8. But this is a future day even to ours. Today we're in that parenthetical period of grace as we have seen in Paul's revelation. But as we come to the book of Revelation, it is entirely futuristic. It's referring to that future tribulation and the establishment of the thousand-year reign of Christ. We come to verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Here in verse 7, as we read the last phrase of this passage, she made herself ready there is another indication that the body could not be the bride of Christ, for we are complete in Christ. We have now the finished work of Christ in which we are under. We've been washed and cleansed in the blood. We are forgiven and accepted in the Beloved One, and we are resting in the riches of his grace. We are safe and secure in the everlasting arms. However, when we go back to the prophetic program, they did not have the assurance of their salvation like we do today in the dispensation of grace. They were always instructed to endure unto the end, to be overcomers, in another phraseology, to make themselves ready, to be prepared for the Lord's coming. So this phraseology even is in direct accordance 
with the kingdom program. And as we look at this passage a little more closely, you will notice that it is the marriage of the Lamb which is come. We've come out now to the end of the great tribulation period, and the Lord Jesus Christ is about to return in glory and majesty and honor back to the earth to overthrow the kingdoms of this world and set up his kingdom of truth and righteousness. It is at that time that the marriage of the Lamb will take place. But you know, as we look there at the end of verse 7, notice that as the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife made himself ready. Well, back in the Gospel according to John, we see the reference to the bride. But here she's referred to as the wife, and a wife is someone who is already married. So how are we able to reconcile these two things together? Well, I have a suggestion for you for your consideration. I've given this a great deal of thought over the years, and it has to be able to be reconciled somehow. In Israel, they had what was known as the betrothal. And according to the law, what that meant was is that the couple that were to be united in the bonds of holy matrimony were to come together publicly before the rabbi. And they would exchange certain vows. It was very similar to our engagement today. But technically speaking, they were really not married. It was a public ceremony, that is the betrothal, and after it was over, the woman was to return to her home, and the man was to return to his home. Let's go now to Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, we have the story of Mary and Joseph and the virgin birth of Christ. And in verse 18, now the, this is Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Let's begin there first. We should back up a little bit for some context. In verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused or betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make a public example of her, was minded to put her away privately or give her a writing of divorcement. So whenever the betrothal had taken place between Mary and Joseph, Mary went to her home, Joseph went to his home. And that usually was for a period of one year. And it was a time of testing. It was to see if the woman had been faithful and to make sure she was not given to immorality or with child. On the man's side, he was to prepare himself for his bride-to-be. He was to prepare the home and so forth that he might begin his family after the term of the year was completed. And it was during this year separation that Mary was found with child. And naturally, 
what was the only conclusion that Joseph could draw, that she had been unfaithful to her vow. And so he was wrestling with this, and it was a very difficult decision for him. He loved Mary very deeply, and so he did not desire to make a public example. He could have. He could have had her taken out and stoned publicly. But rather, he was thinking about placing the bill of divorcement upon her and just putting her aside privately. And as we know the narrative, as the story goes on, the angel appears to Joseph. And you'll note in verse 23 that Mary was a virgin and she was with child. She had not known a man. And verse 24 is the key. Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. Now notice, and took unto him his wife. But technically speaking, they were not married yet. They had not yet become man and wife in that marriage relationship. They were still in this year of separation. But yet she is still called Joseph's wife. All right, as we begin to pull all of this together, this is what I would like to suggest to you. Back in the Old Testament, God betrothed himself to the nation of Israel. It was to be a time of testing to see if she would be faithful unto Jehovah. And we know the story now. She was unfaithful. She had committed spiritual adultery. And she followed after all of the gods of the Gentiles round about her. So God put the pronouncement of Loami upon her, not my people, and gave her a writing of divorcement because of her unfaithfulness. But now let's turn to Isaiah chapter 54. In Isaiah chapter 54 in verse 5, we have a prophecy concerning Israel. For thy maker is thine husband. Here we have the prophet Isaiah. And who was he a prophet to? Who could tell me? Israel. He was a Hebrew prophet ministering to the Hebrew people. And with that in mind... He says in verse 5, For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth, when thou was refused, saith the Lord. For a small moment I have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. And notice how Israel is spoken of affectionately here as the woman. And personal pronouns frequently throughout the Old Testament are used of her, she and her and so forth. And so what Isaiah is predicting is that there is coming a day that believing Israel will be forgiven and be brought back under the mercy of God and she will be joined unto the Lord in that marriage of the Lamb when Christ returns in his second coming. 
So I submit to you that the bride of Christ is none other than the nation of Israel. It has absolutely no relationship to us, the members of the body of Christ. Well, let's confirm a few more things. Let's turn to Matthew 25, still along these lines. And here we have the parable of the ten virgins. And you will remember five were wise and five were foolish. And here in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 25 we read, While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all of those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. You see, the foolish here represent the unbelieving in Israel. They heard the cry, The Lord is coming through the eastern gate. And the unsaved began to mourn. What must we do to be saved? But it's too late. There's no hope for them any longer. Ah, but the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they, now notice, that were ready believing Israel is the bride, went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. But here's something else we must remember. Are we the earthly people of God or the heavenly people of God? We're the heavenly, aren't we? But the marriage of the Lamb takes place on the earth. You see it here? The Lord's coming back in great glory and power and he'll literally stand on the Mount of Olives before Jerusalem and he will fight against Israel's enemies and overthrow them and the blood shall run to the horse's bridle at Armageddon and after that then believing Israel will be united in marriage with the Lord on the earth and ushered in to that kingdom that is not our hope, beloved ones. Our hope is to be with Christ in the heavenlies. So on this matter of the bride of Christ, there is no relationship between the two. All right, but now we need to turn the coin over because there are some connections between the prophetic program and the mystery program. And one of those connections centers around the New Covenant. And that takes us to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. This has been a very difficult area for many believers, including grace believers. Do we have any connection to the New Testament? 
And indeed, we do. But you know, we must pause here for a moment to understand that the new covenant initially was given with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. God had not only established the law or the Old Testament with his chosen people, but also the New Testament as well. So Israel received it directly by promise. But there is something else that we need to realize about this covenant. It is associated with spiritual blessings. Every aspect of the New Testament is connected with spiritual blessings. Now, I realize in Ezekiel chapter 36 that the land is also brought into view there, but we can trace that all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant. That was promised many years before. The basic tenet of the New Testament is that God would remove Israel's stony heart of flesh, and he would give her a new heart and put the Holy Spirit within her. And he would send his son to shed his blood for the sins of his people, that they might be cleansed and washed and forgiven, that they might be the recipients of that kingdom. And so all of that was given to her by promise. But when we come to Paul's epistles, we also are affected by the New Testament. It's binding upon us as well, not by promise, but by grace. We have received the benefits of it by grace. And you know, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And so the spiritual blessings of the New Testament fit in beautifully with our program. And it's essential that you see this connection because Christ was only to come and die for the sins of the world once for all. So if you do not believe we have any connection to the new covenant, then you have to teach that the Lord has to come back and die for the Gentiles. And we know that is totally contrary to the word of God. You see, the common denominator is the cross and the blood of that cross. Not only will it be applied to Israel that believes on her Messiah, but it also shall be applied to those of us in this dispensation if we place our faith and confidence in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the cross is seen to cast a shadow in both programs. And so you can see here now why Paul says that we are able ministers of the New Testament. But he says something else interesting in the book of Romans, chapter 15. Romans, chapter 15, verse 27. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their, that is, Israel's spiritual blessings, this is verse 27, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Paul says, For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of Israel's spiritual blessings, 
And what are some of Israel's spiritual blessings? I'll give you a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit within you. I'll cleanse you with the blood of the Lamb. And now we come to the dispensation of grace, and Paul tells us we're partakers of what God originally promised to Israel. And everyone in this room who is saved tonight has that new man and has the Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart and has been forgiven on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so here we can see that there is a connection of relationship between prophecy and the mystery. So in summary then, while there are many distinctions that we must make in the Word of God, we must also be very careful to make some of the connections as well. We are not the bride of Christ. We have a heavenly hope and a heavenly calling. We're a new creation in Christ, and we shall spend not only the thousand-year millennial reign in glory with him, seated with him there, but we shall also spend all eternity there. Heaven is our home. And I think that distinction will remain throughout eternity between heaven and the earth. Israel, the wife of Jehovah, the bride, if you please, will be united to the Lord in marriage at the close of the Great Tribulation and enter into the thousand-year millennial reign, which is really a prelude to eternity in the New Jerusalem. And she'll be identified with the earth throughout all eternity. But thanks be unto God, the God of Israel is also our God. He is the one who sent his son to die for the sins of his people, Israel. But we also, as the Gentiles, are benefactors of that as well. For we too are under the blood. So as we said a moment ago, the cross cast a shadow in both directions. And it is the common denominator between the two programs of God. So there is a relationship between the two, but there are also distinctions which we must make. Okay, brother, and let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank thee for this time together with these dear saints. And we pray that we might all be Bereans and study to see if these things be so. But one thing we know for sure, Christ died for our sins. And that we have a heavenly hope and calling. And we're thankful that we're under the blood of that new covenant. And we'll be careful to return thanks for all of these things. In our Savior's precious name we pray. Amen.